All right, so Carrie, thank you for joining me. I always like to start by asking people, what did young Carrie think she was going to be when she grew up? Exactly what I'm doing right now, but for not real. as in any, in not in the way in which I'm doing it, but I, I always wanted to be uh, a broadcast journalist, i.e. Oprah Winfrey. Um, you know what the end game is always to have my own talk show, uh, but the, the, the goals have changed in terms of what I thought it would be, what my platform would be for. I, I remember being a kid thinking, I don't like the way they portray black people on TV. Mm. And I just remember thinking I'm going to, when I was referring to the news at the time, not even just TV or movies, but just watching the local news. And I was like, I'm going to make sure we tell fair stories and we look Ooh. like how we're supposed to look. However, you know, simple it felt as a kid, that was just the goal. And then um, I was supposed to be in front of the White House as I got, you know, older and understood the business and I was supposed to be reporting on politics. And that's wow. always, I mean, it's always been something I loved, but I have never deviated from what I've wanted to do. That or being a lawyer. And the lawyer was like, I'm not reading all that. It's too much reading. I'm not doing well, that. Well, but the lawyer thing, but listen, the lawyer thing, people that argue on TV for a living, I can see how that could. Oh, it's the, the, it's the same thing. It's the, it's the same, same thing. thing. It's the, it's same, it's the same career. Exactly. Oh. It's the same career. So I like that you didn't like how women were being portrayed on TV. So you ended up being the woman that you wanted to see portrayed on TV. Now talk about it. You started on the tennis channel, I believe, was you, you talked about wanting to do politics and serious, but then you started in sports. So tell me about that. Well, you know, and, and so I grew up in LA. And so the reality is, is that during a time in which I grew up, like it was like late 80s, early 90s, people were like, all you saw was gang members. Gangs was a real thing in LA and they still are, but not as prevalent in our as, as talked about. Um, and I saw just black people being arrested, black women, this black men, that I just didn't, all the images were so disturbing. Um, and so I started off actually as a local news reporter in West Virginia. Okay. And in West Virginia, it represent Renee. And Why are you saying it like that though? Hold on. Because I'm representing West Virginia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not that you talk like that in West Virginia. I'm just saying, because okay. I, I was like, that's our connection right now. This is a real bonding moment right now. No, it is. Um, I love it. <laughs> I worked in a town called Oakley. Bluefield Oakley. Are you familiar? I am. Uh, okay. So super small. And it was like the market 157, carry your camera, carry your tripod, do everything. Oh, and yeah. so I just worked my way up from there. Like I drove myself out to West Virginia, took five days. I worked my, I worked there for a year and the way my business works, very similar to yours. Like if, you know, you don't, we don't have contracts early on cause we don't make money, but you move and you bump and you move and you bump and you go to different yeah. um, levels. And so after West Virginia, I worked at another small station. Then I bumped to West Palm beach, Florida. Then I went to Atlanta and then okay. I went to Tennis Channel. So, you know, I've been, I've been, I've lived in all the places you okay. live. Uh, and then um, I went to the Tennis Channel. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, I'm just going to focus on sports. Because when you're a general assignment reporter, you always cover sports. So when I was yeah. in Atlanta, I covered the Falcons and the Dream, as a matter of fact. And then um, when I was in Florida, I covered the Williams sisters and a lot of golf, a lot of Tiger Woods, um, a lot of Florida Marlins. Um, those were the teams that were very popular. And then I got to Tennis Channel and I was like, I might as well do this for real, for real. And then there you go. Well, then, okay. So you got to the Tennis Channel, spent like a three-year stint there, 
first take. Now, we know that's one of the biggest shows. What was that like getting, yeah. you know, you talked about it. You went from in West Virginia, you're carrying the tripod, the camera, it's you, you're reporting. Yeah. And then you go to yeah. one of the biggest stages and we'll combine them. I mean, first take Sports Center, the whole ESPN Mecca, you're on the top shows. What was that like to go from where you started, West Virginia, to now, <laughs> to now the worldwide <laughs> leader in sports? Well, that's funny because, you know, I, I, I think, and this is probably very much the same for you. When we accomplish things, you just, you're just like, okay, are you, why you're in it? You don't know how, how big it is or what it feels like. You're just like, I'm here. I'm in it. I'm working. Yep. I'm hustling. Because when you're there, that's when the hard work begins. It wasn't like, oh, I've made it. I'm here. I'm on first take. I'm sitting with Skip and Stephen A. It's, oh, I'm here. I'm on sports center hosting my own show. It, that you don't even think like that. You think like, how do I do the work? How do I work hard? How do I make sure I know what I'm talking about and sound intelligent and, and still deal with all the politics behind the scenes. So I, for me, don't believe that I ever stopped and thought about how big of a platform first take was until it was really tangible. Meaning I went from, you know, going from the tennis channel to first take and people knew my name overnight. And that wasn't always a good thing. Like a lot of people, you know, they have the most aggressive following. And a lot of people were like, yeah. who is she? I don't like her. She made me sick. Da, 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 da. So I was learning to receive all this vitriol and all this faux hate. And I was like, I don't know if I like this. I remember our social media manager, Marcus used to always want me to tweet or post something on IG. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I was, I was dead set against it. I was like, I'm not doing it. Nope. Like I was like, tweet to promote it or tweet against. Yeah. Tweet, tweet to promote that I was on the show and, and, and just who is Carrie, you know, like he wanted me to sh reveal myself. Um, and you know, that's what social media does. And I was anti that I was like, I'm on, no, I said, I'll tweet. Yay. Nay. I was like, I don't want nobody to know who I am. I was so I, I wish Marcus could be here. He, I was so It's interesting anti. because now the, the Carrie we know now, <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah, now Carrie is like, I don't give a care <laughs> what's going on. Y'all make me sick. Let me tell you how I feel. But that was a process. It started really slow. And then I remember Jamel being like, girl, we got to get you on Instagram. And I'm like, I don't want to. And she had already been and she had, and then one day she had posted a photo. She's like, Carrie's on Instagram, go and follow my girl. And then I was like, oh no, here comes the onslaught. And then it was, this was, I mean, I'm telling you, this was relatively recently. I started yeah. at 2012 and first take, I want to say I got comfortable with social media in like 2014. Right. Now, no one would know that, but I was like, I would barely post. I had nothing to say. So I went from, you know, being appropriately posting to from 2014 to, you know, now, now it's like, let me tell you about everything I feel. Yeah. yeah so tell us about about how you feel because there's been not for nothing there's been a lot of people that have left ESPN <clears throat> you talked about Jamel and shouts to y'all having a show now Carrie and Jamel stick to sports on Vice TV it's lit but she was one of the ones that went through kind of the same thing and you guys are not alone we've seen a Dan Lebatar leave ESPN for different you know like it's a large group John Skipper left ESPN so can you just talk about that like where is everybody leaving what's I going on I think for so long, ESPN was the destination. And by the way, it's still a destination. Like yeah. if you want to cover sports and you want to have that on your resume, I think that's impressive. But what Jamel did, in my opinion, Jamel and there was a young lady named Kate. And a lot of people don't know Kate, but Kate did it. To me, Kate did it first. I always say, so my dog Coco wants to get on this and tell you why everybody loved to. <laughs> um, meanwhile, 
Kate was Kate was one of the first, um, but she just left because she just didn't like being on TV anymore, and and she wanted to write and she wanted to tell longer and longer format stories, which I totally respect. She had to write a book and things like that, and she was a pretty popular personality, not as known as Jamel, but Jamel left because obviously, you know, the 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 situation was not you know feasible for her to work. The relationship didn't work. To, it's like being in any relationship. We just don't go together no more. Like it's like you and I have different dreams and goals. Not compatible. Just they just weren't compatible. Yeah. I left and which was shocking for people because it seemed I was hosting sports center five days a week and I was, you know, always there and Carrie, you must be great and happy. And now, and I wasn't because what happens and you can relate to this is that after a while, when you're, when you're in a position where you're content and everything seems to be going well, if you are, um, uh, a creator, a creator of content, or if you are a person who likes to do different things, you're going to get restless. And that is true to my personality. I'm restless in general. Um, so I needed to have an area where I was still that little girl I told you about earlier that saw the news and thought, that's just not true. What I see on television isn't real. These aren't the right representations of Black folks or women. Um, and I really believe that from day one. And along the way, uh, along with all these wonderful accomplishments, I feel as if I may have gotten complacent. And it's easy to do when you make a lot of money and you're on TV five days a week and you walk in hair and makeup and someone's doing your hair and makeup and then you sit down and you have researchers and, you know, I mean, it was, it the was, good life. That's the good yeah, life. it was, or it was assembly. It was the good life for a while, right? Um, but then when it came to wanting to create content and I couldn't do that the way in which I wanted to do that, uh, it didn't work, right? So I had, I for some time thought it was time for me to look for other opportunities, yeah. but it's hard to look for other opportunities when people think you have the best opportunity. Yeah. I don't know if you've, you know, I, it, it, the grass is always greener, you know, outside looking in and people are like, what, why, how? And then what I also experienced was, you know, you work here, you make this, no one, no one's going to really do that for you. That's a, I don't know. Can we match that? We can uh, kind of meet it, but are we going to give you a big enough platform to make you happy? And that's fair because you're right. I'm going to feel a type of way if, you know, I don't have the platform I think I want. But the problem is I didn't articulate and I probably didn't make it clear that it wasn't so much about the platform. It was more so about the work. It was about what I wanted yeah. to do. Um, and so I figured because this is the new generation. And I think so many of us, like our parents, you got a good job, stay there, don't leave. Be there for 20, be there for 20 30 years, get yeah. your pension, da, 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 da. That's great. That's great. And that still can be the vision. But this generation now is like, let me go make my own and have multiple yeah, jobs. Let me have multiple jobs. Let me have multiple opportunities. Let me have my hand in everything. And that's great. And we should. In fact, we should. Yeah. TV isn't the end all be all, but yes, I'm gonna still do TV and I'm gonna still do sports, still do sports because that's my bread and butter in terms of that's where I made my name. But why not talk about politics like I've always wanted to and do it in a way that we do it on Vice? Why not talk about sports and politics in the intersection uh, that I do in, on my different platforms that I have now currently? Um, and it was one of these things and I used the analysis of a, a young lady breaking up, being in a relationship and she goes to the club and she don't know how fine she is. And everybody like, excuse me, can I talk to you? Like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, allow I'm her cute. to reintroduce herself. Okay. I'm cute. I'm cute. That's how I felt when I, because when I left, I was working on the show with The Rock, um, which was called Titan Games. And then I got a, like, 
all these other opportunities opened up. And, and I was like, what, what? And then now, now the game is the bigger platform and not working too much, but taking the gigs that allow you to do what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's right? the, that's the goals, right? You like literally summed up the goals. Like, right. That's that's what it is now, right? It's like you once you figure out the hustle, you're like, okay, where do I live? Because you have to try everything as in life. I'm okay with trying something and it not really fit and not be a good suit. Yeah. But okay, that was a good look. Okay, okay, I won't do that. Now I know that when I work that, you know, all of these different things, right? Yeah. I'm I'm my own businesswoman now. And that comes with a great amount of responsibility, a great amount of freedom um, that I love and I enjoy. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, the pandemic has been hard for so many people. And there's a part of me that felt guilty for saying, well, I have been thriving um, and I've been doing well. Like a Carrie, part of me same. feels it's bad, an uncomfortableness, right? It's right? uncomfortable. It's like, you know, so many people are going through it during this time, but I mean, same as you like the pandemic was kind to me it was great to me in a sense of the opportunities that presented itself of course we know everything that was happening but no that you should there's a purpose for that there was a purpose for that no seriously have you noticed i, I can look around at all my, uh, so many of my friends and i'm just and i'm going to focus on black women they have been thriving during the pandemic yeah more jobs, more opportunities, more highlights. And if it took the world to stop and realize that we belong and we deserve more respect and we have a certain place in this history and we Here. in fact create history and everything that matters and we are the moral conscious of this entire Girl, you society. <laughs> if this is what we have to do, then we had to do it. Like I'm here for all of it and I'm watching you thrive and I'm pumped and I'm excited. And that inspires me. I'm like, well, let me go ahead and try to own a team too. <laughs> you better come to a game, but yeah. <laughs> but like, get to the game. That, you yeah. talked about the work, right? So you have, I'm very intrigued that you were actually not into social media and now you're so open and you're so comfortable. Mm. You have a podcast called Naked and it's mm -hmm. so appropriately titled because mm -hmm. when the questions you're asking I was on the pod and the questions you ask you, they're personal they make you think mm -hmm. and they, they they expose you and make you feel that vulnerability is that the kind of work that you're talking about that you want to do and what other mm -hmm. projects you know to fill that void of I get everything you're saying where you want to try something but once you've tried it you've been there a while maybe I want to try something different and are it's okay that void are how where are you at with that I am I ultimately, you know, obviously the next step is for me to just have my own show and do what I do in my, all the platforms I do on my show. Yeah. I mean, and that, and that is happening. Right. Um, but the reality is, is that I um, am uncomfortable being vulnerable. I am uncomfortable sharing my business. I do decide what I will and not share. Right. I will give you my personal life, but I won't tell you who I'm sleeping with or who I'm dating. You won't yeah. get that. That's none of your business. And if I decide to great, if I, I decide after 10 years of being married to put a picture up of me and my husband and be like, happy 12th anniversary. And y'all be like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> So be it. Was it. like when Issa Rae, <laughs> everyone was like, hey girl, you married, what? Yeah, it's nobody's, like, it's yeah. no one's business. And when we feel comfortable sharing, we will. I have decided that is my non-negotiable. There are certain things that are negotiable. That's my non-negotiable. But the vulnerability aspect of social media, the the winning, the faux winning, um, everyone with a purse and a car and, a, and a, you know, great body and all these other things that we, we find are really important or people are making them important. Um, it's not important and it's not true. So, so I am in this space and everyone goes through a different season. Cause I was there, like, let me show off how cute I am. Let me, although there's always a part of me, like Renee, you know me well enough to know that if I really wanted to go and flex, I do a real flex. Like yeah. I don't do that. Like I just yeah. don't. 
I, I yeah. could do all the things that everyone's talking about if I needed that attention. Insecurities right. are loud. Confidence is quiet. Mm. And so I'm just like, I could do that, but I'm, I'm all set. Like I'm a flex a little. You don't need I, that, to do it for you to I don't feel need to, Yeah. I don't need to do it for likes, but I, and look, and I may flex a little cause that is my personality. Like it is yours just a little, like, let me just flex and show you what I'm doing. Championship yes, sir. here. But then, but that's just, just to remind you in case y'all forget, you know, like, <laughs> let me just reintroduce myself. As you said earlier. <laughs> Like, just in case you forgot, go I ahead. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yes, I'm old, but let me just flex and just show you what this body's looking like. Don't be mad because I don't want them. You know what I mean? Listen, like, you got to yes. go. You have to every now and again because they disrespect you. You got to say, no, thank you. <laughs> I love that. So you talk about your non-negotiable. It's pretty much your personal life, putting on on social yeah, media. And that's my non-negotiable. Now, is, which came first? Because you talked about the, the faux hate that people gave you right away on first take. Did that make you want to be more protective yeah. of your personal life? And so like, yeah. all right, if I'm going to deal with it, it's fine, but I'm going to keep my family out of it. Was, was that a, a reasoning or? Or I was just, I didn't like how mean they were. Like I'm sensitive. Yeah. My feelings were hurt. Like, and those, the words were mean and they came yeah. from blue checkmark people who were quote unquote famous. And wow. it was, and then it was from just from, from people who sitting in the bar who's like, I hate her. I can't stand her. There's a lot of hate that we as black women deal with. Um, and it, it was never highlighted or ever an issue until I had this one incident with this guy named Artie and he was a comedian and he had made this joke about me um, that really was about rape. And he was like, oh, I'm Thomas Jefferson. She'd be Sally. And, you know, wow. I would like to take her out, you know, just really inappropriate. And I remember this is when me and Jamel super bonded. Jamel, like, you know, she had a following and she retweeted that. She was like, do you think rape is funny? Because this is the joke you're making. Yeah, it's not. It's not funny. And it, and it was, it was to me, all of those things. I mean, because all these images of me, like with, on a, with a noose on my neck and all these images, just horrible, hurtful, hurtful things. I... <laughs> I always laugh at this because it was the first time I had ever met, I think it was Maria Taylor at the time she was in ESPN and she was saying hi and I was saying hi to her and I said hi and I ran down the stairs because I was in tears like I was crying because I was what? so devastated and she thought I was being mean but I was like no I'm just I was I was going through it. I went home. You ever go through these moments where you go home and you just turn your phone off? And that's when I had to come back stronger and say, I cannot allow social media to determine my mood. And that was a real lesson for me. And like I said, that might have been 2014, 2016. I just it was it just the learning this whole thing yeah. is so hard. It's a whole nother world to navigate. And it will be, trust me, curriculum in colleges sooner rather than later, maybe even high school, on how to navigate a world that if you are so engrossed in it, it will make you feel a certain way about whom you are and you don't even know who the hell these people are. No, like, I'm glad you crazy. say that. I'm glad you say that because think about like, so you felt the attacks, you're a grown woman, you're on everything, yes. you know, like you're confident, yeah. but those attacks at such a large scale, of course they affect everyone. So it's really crazy to think of the bully mentality because you talk about that. No, I play women's basketball. So oh I'm sure, I'm sure you can assume that yes. we have some synergy there with the yeah. attacks that people yes. just feel like we're bulletproof and honestly I really don't care so I'm one of those people that if you played sports we have to have tough skin because people have told me I'm not good enough since I was little but it doesn't make it okay like that's the thing that I think that people don't get people don't get and maybe you could talk about that more actual death threats that you I know Jamel Hill receives them that's just crazy like why it's would you crazy. hate somebody that much if you could speak on that that's crazy to me I, I think you look, you, you know, so I love for you asking me this, but you know, I think 
I would, and we always want to say it's just a few bad apples, but it really isn't. I think our country is very well aware of what it was built on and it's built on racism. Um, and there are people who legitimately have a problem watching minorities thrive um, or be confident because there is an audacity associated, like, how dare you, you know, or that's why, you know, when Barack ran for president, he had to be as who he was. He was so special and anointed because he believed there was good in everybody. And that's why it was the audacity of hope. Like he had it. He was hopeful. He still believes in this country. He still believes. I do too, but I am cynical based on what I know. And 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 not bitter, but I am aware. I'm all like, I, I, we still hope. I had this conversation with Jamal the other day. We still hope that this country will deliver its promise, that all men are created equal, although that was written not for us, but for them. We still believe as a culture, as Black folks more specifically, that there is some good because we wouldn't still be trying to fight exactly. for our rights. We still wouldn't be here saying, guess what? I believe, I know that it can happen. We wouldn't take, uh, like what, because what else would we do? There was that one very popular, um, and I got to mention that popular meme that went by, we're not asking for revenge, we're just asking for respect. And I'm like, yo, that is the best way to describe it. And I realize now that we are making progress, but progress is painful, which is why the pain is always um, illustrated with death threats and yeah. uncomfortable messages and and the, the, it's like a group. I, I really believe like when it's all said and done, someone will do a deep 30 for 30 sports reference. There would be, there's a group of people who get together and say, this is who we're targeting this week. Yeah. Let's send these messages out. It has to be, has to be right? someone in charge of the foolishness because it's just so- Because it, it's so targeted and it's so specific yes. and it's always the rape and you're this and you're that. And, and I remember blocking people. If you didn't follow me, you couldn't leave me a message. And people would be in my DMs and be like, I can't believe I can't leave you a message. You're a coward. You can't take it. Who, wait a second. What? I can't take it. Who says I should take it? Right. Like, what, what world do we live in where I'm a coward for blocking people who want to talk to me in a disrespectful way? If you were in my life and you were my friend and you talked to me in a disrespectful way, one, you'll know about it. And two, I won't talk to you no more. So right. why am I going to let a stranger treat me a way I wouldn't let a friend treat me? You know what you I'm know, saying? It's interesting because you talked about something with fans and we're starting to see, it's always been happening, but now we're starting to see a fan spin on Trey Young in a playoff game, a fan threw popcorn on Russell Westbrook. We've seen fans call LeBron racist slurs. Kyrie Irving asked the fans, hey, be fans, but can we just leave the racist stuff out of it? This trend in sports is really is really going the wrong way where fans and- Well, you know why it's going the wrong why? way? Because people like you and LeBron and Kyrie and Russell Westbrook and you name it are starting to use their platform to speak out. And so these fans are furious because they've brought quote unquote politics into the game that they love. And it's no longer just entertainment and I'm not just dribbling and shutting up. So they're furious. And these fans that are quote unquote doing that hear their parents talk about it. They come to these games, they feel both. They think it's okay. They used to do it back in the day. Remember when the malice in the palace would run our tests? Yeah. Like, they are lucky. Like, and yes, to whom much is given, much is required. I am aware. I make millions of dollars, quote unquote, as an athlete. So I can't go in the fans and go after somebody because they're going to sue me, my family, and everybody else. But if I see you on the street, would you do that? 
Oh, why do you why do you have this wall of protection because I play ball or I am an athlete? It's I mean it's, Russell Westbrook. You saw what happened. It the was ready. literally ran out of the building. Security doesn't even know who did it. They just left and ran. But his energy, that's a normal energy. If you throw something on someone, like literally, and he's leaving the game for an injury. I mean, what do you expect out of here? Russell said he talked about the guy who called him an N-word, but he did, he tried to be respectful. See, that's the other thing too we need to start getting naked about what really is happening mm. instead of answering politically correctly. Someone said, Kyrie, what do you mean? He's like, look, he's like, I'm not the only one. Kyrie could have been like, Boston has a history. Yeah. Knock it off. Period. Like it's a researchable, like you can. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's documented. Knock it off. Stop asking me to say it outright. You know what it is. When you, when you write this article, go look it up or just straight up say it sometimes because if we don't shock the culture and people yeah. with what is going on, they'll never know. Yeah, because a lot of people assume that that's a small reality. So then once you bring it to attention, it's a bigger reality. And I like what you said about, we need to get naked about it and just be vulnerable about it. Do you think growing up in LA and you talk about you're an LA girl, we know that you're a Sparks fan, Lakers fan, <laughs> all of that UCLA. Yeah. We know that you're a big fan, but you grew up in LA in a time where a Rodney King incident happened. Yeah. How did that and how did that affect the young Carrie that wanted to be talking about things that mattered, politics and all of that? How did that affect you? That's a great question because I've never thought about how it affected me, but I do remember the images and I do remember thinking that it was weird because I went to school in Pasadena, which is like 20 minutes removed from where a lot of the riots were happening in downtown LA. And I remember we we didn't close school that day, which we should have. They did the next day. Hmm. But the teacher, the, the principal gathered us all into everybody into the, um, the principal was black at the time. So there's a point to this, gathered us all into the um, auditorium and asked me um, to me and a couple of other people who were part of student body to talk about what they were feeling. And it's a very diverse school, very, cause that's the beauty of living there. And I remember thinking, well, this is the image that I saw, like, because I remember we had to go pick up my grandmother because she was stuck in downtown LA the day before because they were How riding were for you? days. I had to be like, not to call 14. out your age, but I just want to know like a kid yeah. seeing that image at a yeah. young age. I was like, I was in the ninth grade. So I had to be like 14 years old. Yeah. I remember just thinking it was, it was just awful. It was devastating. And I was scared. I remember being scared. Even it, there were so many things associated with it because the whole house was, I mean, the whole house, the entire city was ablaze, like yeah. smoke everywhere. Like you walk outside, are you smelling the smoke? And all you see is gray clouds. And then you see these neighborhoods and you hear people saying, stop burning down your own neighborhood. You need that. You need that liquor store. You need that liquor store. And I remember thinking, oh, God, that's so true. Because where are you going to get your eggs from? You're not, where are you going to get? Like right. those liquor stores, when I grew up back in the day, when we lived in LA proper, like Joe's Market would let me bring a note for my mom and be like, hey, I don't have any money this week. Or she does, wow. she's not paid this week. The note, whatever the note was, but they would then give me groceries based on the note that my mother wrote. Wow. And she would go back and pay them. It was this this honor system. Those local markets were were people's, literally their right to eat. And so when you, and when you think about that as a kid, and when I remember them saying, don't burn up the, the, your neighborhood store, cause you need it. It was so true. These, yeah. I was like, y'all don't even, cause they really did. There were bonds there. Just, I mean, every case is different, but anyway, I, I remember talking about how hurt I was. I think, I think hurt was the first 
the first time that I ever was able to express what I saw. I was really hurt. I was hurt by what happened with Rodney King. I was hurt by watching these people burn down their neighborhood. I was hurt by watching the police start to push everybody back when they got into the wrong neighborhoods. Cause you, ain't, you don't go to Beverly Hills. You go yeah. to Beverly Hills. I have to stop that right now. Once you get close to West LA, we're not doing that anymore. Um, and then I just, I remember thinking, and it, I didn't say it this way, but you know, and, I think Doc Rivers said it best. Why do we, why, why don't they love us? Why do we love a country that doesn't love us? Yeah. I remember thinking there's just no way my mom, I hear my mom have these adult conversations about it. She's like, there's just no way these officers are going to get let off. There's just no way that this is going to happen. And I remember so it, people like, it actually awesome. believe that like there was going to be justice served at that oh, point. 100%, which is why they rioted because we were so disgusted and hurt. There was no hope. People riot when they have no hope. That is the voice and the and the and the cry and the the yell of the hopeless. And that's exactly what I felt. I felt hopeless and hurt. And I'm like, dang, like, like what? Um, and I mean, it changed my whole perspective. That's a great question because I do believe that's the the empathy and the compassion I have as a journalist. Like I feel, I feel all of that. That hurt, it hurts me. It hurts a lot of people. Watching this hurts me. So it was really um a tough learning lesson, but so is, you know, that's, which is why everybody didn't think in over the years, it's happened over and over again, but you always think of Rodney King. He was our first, first. if you know, yeah. you know, and you didn't see any justice. So why did we think we would get justice with George Floyd, which I'm glad we did, but you know why black people, honestly, historically speaking, were like, if I go on history, I don't know. You know what I mean? There's always this. Yeah. I so don't what did know. you think in 2020 when you saw again, you know, you said riot is the voice of the hopeless. So when you saw that start to ha happen, like, you know, in Atlanta, it was huge. So what was your thought? Were you excited that the change was going to come? Or were you like, oh, no, again, you know, like, because you came from an area that had that civil unrest yeah. already. Yeah, they were, they were riding here differently. Yeah, it wasn't, Atlanta might have been better, but they were doing some, there was, there was not rioting, there was a lot of protest. Protesting, there wasn't even, yeah, let's there say protesting. protesting. There was no rioting, there was yeah. protesting here. Um, and when I saw it, two things, right, we're in a pandemic, and I got to be honest, I was like, do I want to go outside, or this is the early, remember early stages, you didn't yeah. know if you can get sick from the air. So I, I remember thinking, um, I had a heaviness, I was just tired. I don't know how that it all addresses as a so you see it as a kid you see it now 20 years later you're yeah. just like I'm just heavy like all of this is heavy like I'm tired you know at 14 I'm witnesses 20 years later we're doing the same thing I'm tired I'm tired and so what I all but I but I knew back to me had you know I just left ESPN in January of 2020 I left actually in January the end of January 2020 right after Kobe's death I knew then that I had made the best decision of my life because you weren't going to muzzle me. I had to say everything I had to say, because yeah. if I got a platform and you up here doing and the world is falling apart as we know it, and we are demanding justice, I'm not going to choose my words carefully mm. because we have been kind and polite and asking for permission since the inception of this country. And it has still ended up with us fighting and asking for us not to be shot while we're at the store or walking or driving or sitting and eating, like no more. And I'm not saying go out there and riot till the end of the days. What I'm saying is the old way in which we ask for respect and how yeah. we have been taught is not working clearly. History continues to repeat itself. So if you don't speak nakedly, and I'm not mm. just doing this candidly about my podcast, I'm saying if we don't speak nakedly about what is going on in this country, what is going on in our homes or in our hearts, 
we won't get anything done. Let it be uncomfortable. Sit in that. Oh, I love it. Let it be uncomfortable. As you guys know, Carrie Champion has a podcast called yes. Naked where she talks about things that are vulnerable. Let it be uncomfortable. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me on Remotely Renee. kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.